Welcome to Divine Renewal Radio with Miriam Jano. Divine Renewal Radio is a portal where we share the joy of remembering, reconnecting, and reclaiming our dreams, hopes, and desires. Here, you're not alone. You're seen and heard and witnessed by a sisterhood of courageous women stepping forward together into healing ourselves and each other, sharing insights, questions, tools, inspiration, connection, and our personal journeys. I'll be talking with inspiring leaders and entrepreneurs who are walking beside us on the path of the sacred feminine, sharing insights and exploration on matters of mind, body, emotion, and spirit. What does true well-being look like? How do we find a place of balance in our lives? What does it really mean to embody our divine feminine nature? Welcome to the Divine Renewal Radio, my sister. I am your host, Miriam Jano. Kitty Cavalier travels the world teaching the art of seduction, not as a tool or manipulation, but as a spiritual practice and a way of life. Kitty is the author of Sacred Seduction, a guidebook, memoir, and tribute to the art of seduction, and has helped thousands of women live more sensual, pleasurable, authentic lives through connecting to their senses. To read Kitty online diary or join one of her retreats, visit kittycavalier.com. Hello, hello, Kitty Cavalier. I am so, so welcome you welcoming you into this portal into uh having a wonderful dive into this deep and incredible conversation and just so grateful that you're here how are you kitty i'm wonderful thank you so much for having me and i am so grateful to be here just to listen to the way you say my name (laughs) (laughs) i can't help it is the spanish in me right i love it (laughs) Well, let's just dive right into this. Um, There is so much uh, wonderful and amazing uh, things that you do that you um, have your hands in and just so many things that you speak about and so many uh, ideas and thoughts as a thought leader that you bring to our attention as women. One of the quotes that we have from you is, I'm here to bring you sacred seductress out of the shadows and into the spotlight where she belongs. Hmm. Most women are starved for the sensual, sacred seduction. Give us permission to feast. Wow. So true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, wow. Can we all take that in for a moment? And what does that mean? And please just feel free to take this conversation wherever. And and why is that so powerful, that quote? And what is it saying to us? as women who really, truly are starved, starved to be sensual or starved to be seen or starved to be acknowledged Mm -hmm. and just really, truly in a society that sometimes feels very, very difficult to be acknowledged as a woman. Yeah. So, you know, seduction, when most people hear that word, there's usually a, a bit of a mixed response. And that's because seduction is a force that we are taught to, to fear, you know, usually as children, and then as adults to revere. You know, it's this 
power that we all simultaneously want and yet don't want in the sense that seduction conjures often conjures images of manipulation and mm-hmm. you know being swayed to do something that is not truly in alignment with your truth and sacred seduction is taking seduction out of the shadows and into a bigger it's it's i i say in my book that you know sacred seduction is kind of like holding seduction up to the light and just like you would with a prism seeing hundreds of different dimensions through which this power this force of seduction can actually be a source of great healing for mm-hmm. women and for men on the planet because as you sh- as you shared you know, we live in a time of sensual depravity Mm. that is making us very sick on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. Kitty, explain to us where where do we learn to fear this? Because, uh, I mean, as a mother of a boy and a girl, uh, being free and feeling free uh, is such an innate natural feeling. What what becomes so conditioned within us that these these opinions or these shadows be, take over it completely, making us, like you just said, making us feel so disconnected, making us feel sick. Where where are these things coming from that we are so ingrained for us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a very really good question and really deep question. A lot of ways that, that we can, can go there. Um, but the thing that comes immediately to mind is that in order to be a human being, you know, it is a dance of being an animal, being a mammal, being a primal instinctual creature. And we need those primal instincts in order to stay alive and in order to maintain that feeling of freedom. And yet, because of our intellect and the fact that we live in a civilized world and culture, in order to belong and in order to survive, it also requires that we dominate and that we numb those instinctual urges at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated dance. I know. And how do we balance that? How, where... Where, where do we learn discernment? Where, because clearly it's not going to be, I mean, I know in my case, it wouldn't be from my mother or necessarily my culture, my background, giving the strong Catholic, Catholic uh, background, continent, country that I come from as a Spanish Latina woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up very Catholic too. I wanted to be a nun until I was about 13 years old. Did you know that? <laughs> we now know that. <laughs> why? why, why? <laughs> you know, I found such relief in um, the prescription of how to do it right. You know, one of the things that I loved about religion as a kid was like, here was the path, like here is the set of rules that, that is set out before us for how to be a good girl, you know? And like you had said before, how do we learn discernment? I mean, I think that like my life has been defined by my work of this discernment of undoing the conditioning of 
these learned ways of being good and returning to that instinctual knowing of what is not good, but what is true and reprioritizing what is true over what is quote unquote good. Mm, Yes. Yes. And how did you, how were you able to bring that into your life? I mean, one of the things that we, we, I see, I say we, when I say we, I talk all, a lot about um, the Divine Renewal team. We have a group of wonderful women. And when we bring in a guest, we discuss the leader and who is and what is she, what is her mission, what is her work. And that's why um, you will hear off, you will often hear me use the word we. And mm-hmm. the, what we find in your work that is so attractive is can you talk the difference between sensuality and erotic sensuality? Because again, those are, those are terminologies that as good girls growing up in good Catholic homes or good, whatever your background is, or certainly those are not words that are thrown around at the dinner table as we're growing up. Totally. I mean, I couldn't even say the word sex until I was like, I mean, I used to have to spell it. I couldn't say it. I used to have to say S-E-X, like on the playground. If people were talking about it, I'd be like, are you talking about (laughs) S-E-X? But almost fearing it, huh? Fearing it. Yeah. Yes, yes. I I remember that too. I clearly remember not spelling it, but certainly feeling fear. Absolute fear. Fear and shame. You know, shame was a big part of it for me is like to even say the word. And even, you know, I was just writing the other day about being in my twenties and purchasing a book on female orgasm and being so terrified that someone would find it, that I hid it inside a bag, inside a bag, inside a bag Mm. in the farthest recesses of my closet, you know? Yes. And, um, so the question was, what is the difference between sensuality and erotic sensuality? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's a really good question. And um, before the call, we were talking about spider energy and like all the different ways that we can could go with that question. But the, the way that I am being uh, called to right now is to first really break down what that word erotic really means. And one of my favorite sources for redefining the word erotic is um, the article by Audre Lorde, Uses of the Erotic, the Erotic as Power. And in this article, she talks about, it's a really dense, really delicious article. It's the kind of article that you really need to read kind of one sentence at a time and Mm -hmm. let it soak into your cells. But one of the things that she talks about is that, you know, our current understanding of the erotic, um, and let me see if I can remember this analogy and share it appropriately. So that our current understanding of the erotic is kind of similar to the, to the difference between real live skin to skin sexual contact versus the experience of pornography. You know, that our current understanding of the erotic is this kind of cheapened, um, 
power that is only brought out. And I, I feel like I'm not even really doing the analogy justice, but that, you know, the, oh, okay, this is the, the important part from the analogy, is that the, the erotic, as we currently understand it, is kind of like sensation without feeling. Mm -hmm. And that the true nature of eroticism is the combination of using our senses to savor and explore the world and explore our lives and combining that with our very human nature of feeling. And so I share that because, you know, to me, erotic energy is not just something that is awakened when I'm with a lover or when I am in self-pleasuring or when I am wearing lingerie. Like erotic is something I experience when my teeth bite into a flaky, buttery croissant. Mm -hmm. And erotic is something that I experience when I run my fingertips along my dog's soft, fluffy head. Mm -hmm. Because erotic to me is the engagement of the senses with the component of fully feeling. Rather than, rather than using the senses to numb out of life, it is using the senses to tap into life. That is what erotic really means to me. And, and also, Kitty, um, the ability and the, and the knowing that we have access to it all the time. Yeah. Just becoming aware of it really is really the main thing. But how wonderful to know that you have access to that the second that you allow yourself to feel that which, you're, which you speak of. Uh, in yeah. fact, it sounds so much like um, what we do at Divine Renewal. We work a lot with the body and we work a lot with what's the true hungry voice saying. And most of the times with women, what's happening in their body is they have really shut down their senses. Mm -hmm. And so eating becomes almost like an escape. Uh, women will eat too much, too little, starve themselves completely, really not allow themselves to feel the pleasure of just, again, just like you said, biting into a croissant, biting into an apple, having a piece of chocolate melt in your mouth, rather just shoving and shoving and shoving or not eating at all as a source of punishment. So it's very, very all linked together about the whole idea of, of um, what we're speaking about, about what is erotic and what is the pleasure and what is allowing your body to feel that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so thank you for bringing that. So please continue. I just was, I was adding, I wanted to add that the accessibility that we do have this at any moment in time. Yeah. And that, you know, it's available to everyone. Um, I just recently taught a retreat and a woman shared with me, she was like, Kitty, I have to confess that I can't even say the word sensual without blushing. <laughs> and, you know, I was so glad and grateful that she shared that with me because sensual, like what does sensual mean? Sensual simply means engaging with life through the senses. And I think that often when, when people, when I tell people that I work in the, the field of feminine sensuality, immediately they think I'm some sort of orgasm coach or sexuality expert. 
Yeah. And I'm really not. I'm just a girl who really likes croissants and enjoys the feel of a sheepskin faux rug under her touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sensuality to me is just really simply using the senses to engage with life. And that is why it's accessible to everyone at all times, anywhere. So, so Kitty, what, what, what happened? Like, how did you get yourself to this point where you became so aware? Was there, uh, what, was there a lack of, uh, what, what was the wake up call, so to speak, or the spiritual intervention in your own personal life for you to become so aware of this subject, which we're speaking about right now? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was 21, I moved to New York and um, I lived in New York City for 15 years and I loved New York. And um, one of the things that happened for me when I moved to New York is I came across the work of a woman named Mama Gina. And some of your listeners might know who she is. <laughs> She's written a couple of books and she uh, owns something called the School of Womanly Arts in, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And she teaches women about pleasure and um, designing your life around pleasure. And so I became a student at that school. And then I also worked there as the enrollment director for several years. So I had this real initiation of um, what does it mean to dedicate my life to really walk my talk when it comes to dedicating my life to my pleasure in all areas. And, you know, once I had gotten a whiff of that redefinition of feminine sensuality, not as something that was there to be of service to, uh, other people or to men or to, um, you know, me getting something because of how I look or, or, you know, any of the other distortions of feminine sensuality that exist in our culture. Mm -hmm. When I got a whiff of the idea that it was just there for me and that it was actually not just there for me, but it was there for me and God, you know, God, goddess, the divine, that which goes by a thousand names and yet remains unnameable. Mm -hmm. I was hooked. And, you know, I had a really big transformation, particularly around my relationship to my body. And, you know, as a girl who used to want to be a nun, I mean, I couldn't even wear short sleeves in the summertime. I was so ashamed of my body. And I went on to become a burlesque dancer, you know? Um, So there have been many, many stops along the journey, but really it was just like when I got a taste of the idea that you know, I, I often share a story of when I was a little kid and I made my first penance in Catholic, in the Catholic faith, which is when you confess your sins to a priest. Yes. You know, the priest gave me the uh, assignment to go out and say the act of contrition. And I went out and I said, I am sorry for my sins. You know, um, I have to recite it in my head. Um, I firmly intend with your help, God, to do penance, to sin no more, and to avoid whatever leads me to sin. And so my my head was saying this, and then there was also this voice inside of my little seven-year-old self that said, but you like sinning. (laughs) You know, because to me, sinning was like enjoying a chocolate chip cookie, running barefoot through the grass when my grandmother told me not to, you know. It was like anytime I followed pleasure in my body rather than following what was being told 
to me to do or not to do. And so, um, how old were you, Kitty? At that time? Yes. Like seven, second grade. So seven. Yeah. 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 So very important forming years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because you talk about body shame too as well, but continue, please continue because I want to tap back into the body shame, but yes, keep going. Yeah. So, so all of that is just to say that, you know, my whole, it was like my whole life I've been a seeker, my whole life I've been a spiritual um, seeker. And when the, you know, what I think is so amazing is that there are so many ways and so many interpretations of the divine feminine that are becoming available every single day. And so for me, it was just like, as soon as I, I got a whiff of that or a taste of that, I could not get enough and still cannot get enough. And that's why I do the work that I do. Hmm. So what are, I mean, you spoke about shame and shame is obviously something that, oh gosh, too many women live with. And uh, we, we walk around with this concept that our bodies are everything, they're completely sinful and that they are, and we walk, we have this shame that we start carrying viscerally and mm-hmm. everything becomes maybe I'm too much, too little, not saying enough. We question everything that we do. What, what are some of the, for a woman in our age group, how can she start breaking that pattern? What are some of the self-care tips or practices that a woman can just start slowly, day to day, start doing? Because again, you spoke about shame and I'm sure that Kitty, I mean, I, I've, walked, I've walked that road as shame as well. It's not an overnight thing, mm-hmm. wake up call of uh, really coming back into your body temple? Like, how, how, how was it for you? Like, when did you have that moment where you started noticing that if you did something, it brought joy rather than shame? Where, where was the breaking point? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a really great question. Um, and for me, you know, one of the things that has been so helpful is understanding that shame, you know, cause like we, it's like, we know a lot about how much shame is carried by women around the body. And one of the things that was, was really helpful and, and quite revolutionary for me is understanding that shame is not just a concept in my mind, but shame is a sensation in my body. Yes. And when the turning point was for me, was having somatic experiences that were the antithesis of shame. And so for me, that was wearing a bikini on the beach when, you know, five years prior to that, I could not have even, I, I would, was turning down invitations to go to the beach because I couldn't feel that, I didn't feel I could be seen in a bathing suit. <laughs> you know, showing I've my belly. There. I've yeah. been there, Kitty. I, 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 that one has been a very strong one for me. And even now with kids, and I, I'm, still, I, I'm still conscious of it. I still don't feel absolute freedom. And the reason why, it's because I feel that I'm exposing too much. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally understand that about the bathing suit thing, as I'm yeah. sure many of our listeners can relate to that one. Yeah. 
And one of the, the most powerful transformative experiences for me was um, burlesque, you know? And so if you've never been to a burlesque show for any of the listeners who've never, who don't know that much about burlesque, yes, burlesque is characterized. I mean, there's a lot of way, different ways to define burlesque, but one of the things that you'll most likely see if you go to a burlesque show is a woman doing striptease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's, there's somatic experiencing therapy. There's a whole branch of therapy that is based around using the body to, um, or tapping into the body to rewire our memories and rewire our conditioning around shame and around trauma. And for me, seeing women who had bodies that were, you know, size G boobs to size triple A boobs, big wide hips to little tiny skinny hips. And like seeing in burlesque, the feminine form glorified as it was rather than censored to what the male gaze feels it should be. Mm -hmm. was a somatically healing experience. And then going on to perform burlesque and standing under a spotlight, you know, girl who couldn't go to the beach, like, you know, unless she was wearing long sleeves and long pants, you know, standing under a spotlight and doing a seductive strip tease without like, this is the most important part without having to change my body. Like I always ha- lived under the illusion that if I had, could just lose 30 pounds or if I could just this or that with my body, of course I could do a burlesque strip tease because I'd feel so confident. Yes. And, you know, that is not the truth mm-hmm. at all. The truth was deciding that it was actually my flaws, quote unquote, that made me so sexy. And it was my, uh, the things that had previously been a, a source of my shame that were the greatest source of my sex appeal because when I was willing to show that and transcend all of the conditioning uh, that had been assigned to me in my lifetime and say, and, and look that shame in the eye and call it beauty, that was the turning point for me. Mm. It was a physical rearrangement of my DNA. I love that. I love that. We, uh, oh, so powerful. Amen. There's, you know, there's so much, I mean, we do a body meditation and it comes down really and truly to looking at those parts of your body that you really have disconnected so much with and finally saying, I love them. It's okay. I accept you. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely, which, which brings me, I mean, uh, there's so much to talk about. I, I don't want to go away from the self-care tips that to what, what could those look like, but you just evoked this question. I'm specifically curious about your naked body workshop ritual that you spoke about in a blog. Can you take us through that practice? Because it feels like that the last conversation, that, that last word you had is tying in beautifully with this. Please um, take us through this practice. Like, can you, will you? This is yeah. exciting. <laughs> Would be my pleasure. So, um, and, and I'm glad you asked because, you know, someone might be listening to this and thinking, well, that's fine and good for you, but there's no way I'm getting on stage and doing exactly. tripties. Like, <laughs> fuck you, you know? And, um, <laughs> That's great. You know, like, I, that, like, that's perfect. And so one of the things, so, so naked body worship ritual 
is a ritual. It's really simple where, um, let me see, I'm just going to tap in for a second as to how I want to tell this story. I think I'm going to tell, tell the full story rather than just kind of giving the specifics of the ritual, which I will, but I, it's like, I want to share how I came to this ritual. Yes, please that, do. Um, during my divorce, so I was with uh, my ex-husband for 11 years and we were married for six and um, our relationship ended very suddenly after the revelation of a deep betrayal um, and transgression on his part. And so, you know, it was like one day I was, you know, going through life in this seemingly solid relationship. And then the next day I was completely on my own for the first time in my life. Cause we had met when I was 23, we had met when I was really young. So I had been partnered for my, almost my whole adult life. Yes. And, you know, I think I was two weeks separated at that point and just crying all the time, you know, and, um, terrified. I mean, just terrified of the weekend, you know, like the weekend was there stretched out before me. And, you know, when you're married, it's like your whole, like your marriage is a big part of your social life. So all of a sudden, not only was I no longer with the person that I thought I knew, but my entire life was decimated. I felt like I was living on planet Mars. And so it was Friday night and the whole weekend stretched out before me. And I just, you know, I was faced with all this time just there by myself. And I had had my business full time for about a year at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, a few nights before a new friend, Laura, had come over and she said, oh, I'm so excited. I get to see, you know, Kitty Cavalier's apartment. And as I sat there crying, I thought about Laura and I thought, okay, if Laura were outside my door right now on a Friday night at 10 o'clock, what would she expect Kitty Cavalier to be doing inside? You know, <laughs> because it was like here I had created this business that was essentially the medicine for my heart. Yes. And Laura saw that. And so, and in that moment of utter despair, you know, I was, I was pressed to turn towards my own toolkit. And what I thought, if Laura was standing outside my door right now, I would, she would think that I would be inside worshiping my body naked to ca by candlelight to Cleopatra style music in front of a mirror, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yes, obviously. You know? She would not be crying her eyes out about her, you know, <laughs> husband and all this stuff. So in that moment, and you know, I had received the assignment many times to look at, look at myself in front of a mirror. And, you know, I don't know if it was just the utter desperation of the moment that created the alchemical change, or if it was the fact that I really took time and attention. I mean, every time I had tried to do that ritual, it was usually like in a bathroom mirror under a fluorescent lights. And so this time I took an old antique mirror that I had purchased when I, you know, when I first started to like have more than enough to eat peanut butter and jelly when I moved to New York, it was like my first big furniture purchase. I still have it. It's like a sacred item in my home. Yes. And I put it up against the wall and I put out a really fleecy soft blanket and I warmed almond oil in this little, uh, one of those little pitchers that you use to pour cream, um, a sterling silver pitcher. And I turned on, you know, beautiful music and I, I lit candles and I 
knelt in front of the mirror naked mm-hmm. and I looked into my own eyes for, for a good three minutes. You know, I made eye contact with myself and I then went on to just watch and observe as my hands dovetailed around my knees as I applied this golden oil to my skin and the way that my fingers would separate as my hands swelled over the mound of my breasts. And, you know, there's this scene in the movie Frida where mm-hmm. Frida is speaking to, meets uh, Diego's, her, uh, lo- her love of her life's ex-wife at a party, first time she meets her. Yes. And the ex-wife says, you know, she, they see him kind of working the room of women. And she says something along the lines of, you know, they, they fall hopelessly in love with him because he sees beauty in all their imperfections. Mm. And in that moment, looking in the mirror, it was like I was looking through the eyes of an artist. And the thing about true artists is that artists find perfection so utterly boring. And artists are able to see through the lens of true beauty rather than simply what has been learned is beautiful by the world we live in. And so as I continued to see my body through this lens, again, it was another somatic, physical rearrangement of my DNA where I was able to see my body through a completely different lens. And then the conclusion of the ritual is to take a journal and to write one page of everything that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So tempting, if this is something that you uh, choose to do at home for our listeners, it's tempting to, you know, very easily, especially in the beginning, slip back into the um, voice of criticism And I urge you, the real cherry on the sundae, the wax seal on this envelope is to capture your appreciations, even if it is simply a penny in the piggy bank of appreciation that you felt for your body, to capture that, write it down, hold it as a written word, as a written testament, because that is an essential part of naming what you just experienced so that your cells can take that new intelligence with you. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And Kitty, is this something that you recommend that we do daily, that we do when we can? What is, what do you recommend for women who really can't even get to the mirror and, sure. and, and let alone be naked in front of a mirror? Yeah. My recommendation um, would be if, if this feels like it would be too much, is to begin setting up the naked body worship ritual stage. So with the blanket, with the candles, with the music, like the sensory elements are really important because in order for a woman's nervous system to relax, she needs to be seduced. Yes. You know, that's why if I were to tell you to just go into the bathroom, flip on the light and look at your eyes in the mirror, it would be one experience, but there is a dip, different level of depth we are able to get to when our senses are in a state of sweet, sacred seduction. And so my recommendation would be to begin with setting up the stage and then simply start with eye contact. 
simply start with holding your eye contact in the mirror. And in my experience, there is always a moment where you are able to glimpse a certain quality of eternity in the reflection of your own eyes. Every time mm -hmm. I do this exercise, I'm able to see all the way back to my five-year-old self, my four-year-old self, um, and to just begin there. And with no pressure to remove your clothing, with no pressure to look at your body, to begin by looking at your own eyes. And I recommend doing this, um, I would say six times over two weeks. And you will like, the thing about this ritual is that you can do it once and either have a lovely experience or have a not so lovely experience. And I really encourage you to go back to just keep showing up in front of the mirror. And because, you know, again, rearranging, like you said, rearranging our DNA is not something that happens overnight. No, it's and, a process. It's a yeah. process. So if you commit to six times over two weeks, you will begin to experience a sense of comfort in the, ex in the experience and in the environment. Mm -hmm. And from there, you will begin to open to whatever degree you are ready to. And uh, I... I also have found even for myself and in, in the times that I couldn't even look into the mirror and there was so much self-loathing and just uh, hatred for a lack of a better word, a anchoring in into my heart, a really truly trying to think of moments that I even felt a glimpse of love, of light, of goodness, uh, of anything that brought me joy and let that moment just spark to just really anchor into that moment and let it grow from there. Because I, I mean, I, I even speak about this in one of my books, I say there came a point in time, especially for us women who have worked with, and I don't even think you need to have an eating disorder specifically, like in my case, but just, we start carrying so much shame that I remember there used to be a mirror in the hallway, Kitty, and the day came when I was scared of the mirror because mm -hmm. I was scared of the reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would just like walk by so very quickly so I would not see that reflection. So you can imagine coming back to looking in the mirror, to coming back to really anchoring in and looking within yourself and having that intimacy, that ability to look into yourself. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's really beautiful. It's a great exercise and you tap into something so important yet again. We have to be, we have to allow ourselves to indulge, to feel our senses, to feel the pleasure in our senses in order to be able to dive in deep and to be able to repair and discover and rejoice. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful, beautiful. Wow, Kitty. So what are, what are your daily practices like? I mean, you share this beautiful, beautiful ritual with us. And what, how do you, on, on your days that you're not fully feeling, or are you always feeling in tuned? Are you always in alignment? How is it for you? And how do you get back into that place? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things uh, that, let's see. 
So the thing about this kind of energy, this erotic innocence that we're talking about, is that that kind of awareness is something that is accessible at any time. And I write a lot in my work about humility and, you know, that true confidence comes from a great amount of humility, a great, uh, you know, that there are a lot of confidence, quick, quick fixes, like improving your posture or, you know, buying a new lip gloss, both of which I heartily endorse to <laughs> increase your erotic uh, vibration. But, you know, that like true confidence and uh, true love of self comes from such a deeper place. And so on days where I, like, I would say that um, to keep that vibration vibing, really my, the most simple ritual or the most simple practice that I can describe is simply connecting to my senses in a pleasure-based way. Mm -hmm. So there's a more observatory way of connecting with the senses. And that's something that I often experience when I'm in, say, a yoga class where, you know, the, the teacher will tell me to feel the air coming into my nose and feel it coming out of my nose. And, you know, it's almost this kind of clinical observation of sensation. Yeah. And for me, the core practice is going beyond the observatory experience into actually actual sensation and actual um, sensual fulfillment. So for example, rather than observing, like I'm just looking at this orchid that's on my coffee table right now, like rather than just seeing colors and shapes and, and things like that, which would be a more, uh, how shall we say, traditional way of just engaging your sense of sight. Mm -hmm. It's like taking it to that erotic depth is like looking deep into the orchid and seeing the little flecks of burgundy that are on the yellow stamen mm -hmm. and like giving it a little wink. Yes. You know, giving Mother Nature a little wink and like teasing and flirting and playing with it. And By the way, I just saw that when you described it. <laughs> I was able to actually close my eyes and I saw it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's yeah. quite resplendent, I must yes. say. Yes. And, um, you know, that I think is, uh, so, so to answer your question, like, Am I always in that frequency? Absolutely not. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm a human being. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, um, but if I wish to tap into that frequency anytime I feel lost, it really just comes down to simplifying the art of pleasurable sensuality, which is that pleasurable sensuality is really nothing more and nothing less than divining pleasure from your senses. Wow. Oh, Kitty. That is so beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thank you. I have, um, I'm so blessed to meet such incredible, incredible people on this, on this portal and I just have so many moments where I just feel like we need to pause just to breathe in that truth. 
Mm. And this is one of them. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Kitty, please, please. Uh, I'm sure that the question that every single listener is asking and can you let us know about how they can work with you? What retreats do you have any? What, what are the participants? What, what will they experience? I mean, experiencing working with you, we just had a delicious almost hour of conversation with you. Where can they find you? Hmm. Hear that with Thank us? you for asking. Yeah. So um, you can find me at kittycavalier.com. So it's K-I-T-T-Y-C-A-V-A-L-I-E-R. Which we'll have on the link uh, right at the bottom of uh, Kitty's interview. Thank you. And um, I think a great place to start is, um, you know, my blog where I write weekly entries of just my own experience of what we've been talking about, which is navigating this human existence um, as a sensual creature and um, all of the blessings and challenges that go along with that. And there's also on my website, a free e-course called Let's Fill Up Your Senses, which is three free videos that will take things that you're already doing, like the way that you walk and the way that you talk and the way that you... uh, think and, um, you know, areas of life that you're already doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and to add a bit more of a pleasurable, sensual, slowed down, embodied approach, really, really simple tweaks that you can make. Um, And so that is there on my website. And then also, you know, of course, there's my classes, my retreats, Um, I have a class called Body Church, which is all about creating a more reverent relationship with your body. There's Mm -hmm. a class in the art of self-massage where you learn a full body therapeutic head to toe uh, body massage. I worked Mm -hmm. in the massage and body work industry for 10 years. And so Mm -hmm. um, I really love that course. It's one of my favorite courses that I offer. Um, But all of my courses, you know, are really around... The, the, the mission of my work is helping others to let spirit speak through the senses. Yes, yes. Nourishment, spiritual nourishment. We call it a divine renewal and Kitty definitely offers that. Please go see her website and her courses because the truth of the matter is um, nutritional nourishment is not enough. We definitely need to have a symbiotic relationship with our spiritual nourishment. And Kitty, you've done an incredible, incredible job of sharing that with us and letting us know the importance of that. Such an honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much, sister. And uh, we look forward to having you more often on our show. Thank Thank you. Thank you for all the beauty and love that you pour into your work and into the world. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kitty.